If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1. It's the Gospel of John chapter 1. In these early examinations of John's Gospel together, we've been looking at the names for Jesus seen here in chapter 1. There are seven of them. We've come to this series in John with this reminder from John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. This is the purpose for which John wrote this gospel. Jesus had done many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which John didn't write about, he tells us. But he says in verse 31 of chapter 20 that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so that we will believe in who Jesus is and believe in his name and be forgiven our sins. When you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven your sins and you are saved. Because of this, John is showing us who Jesus is here in chapter 1. So far we've seen that Jesus is the Word. The Word. He's the Word made flesh. God's representation of of himself to the world. We've also seen that Jesus is the light. He is the light, the light of life. Light means life, and that's who Jesus is. He's the light of life. Today we come to a third name for Jesus, and I want you to look with me at John chapter 1, and we'll read verses 14 through 18, where we're going to see this third name for Jesus. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, beginning at verse 14 in chapter 1 of John. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now the third name that John gives us for Jesus here in chapter 1 is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. I can see that, and you can see that in verse 14. John says here in verse 14, The Word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And that is why we call Jesus, and that is why John calls Jesus the Son of God. Later in verse 34, John writes that John the Baptist said of Christ, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. 
And then in verse 49, the Apostle John tells us that Nathanael recognized Jesus for who he was and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. And we also see this name for Jesus used several times elsewhere in John's Gospel, and we will see them as we continue this series, Lord willing. We also noted it earlier, you heard me read it when I read John 20 and verse 31, where John writes, let me read it again. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Son of God is the third name that we have from John here. This is an important name that John uses, and his use of this name helps us know for certain who Jesus is. In fact, here in verses 14 through 18, John tells us much about Jesus, the Son of God. So let's walk through this passage to see what we can learn about who Jesus is, the Son of God. Look at verse 14 again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is helping us understand who Jesus is and that he is the Son of God. So note this first. Look at it here in verse 14. The Word became flesh. Jesus, the Word, took on humanity. But he did not, get this, he did not start being human and stop being God. Jesus, in all his deity, in all his godness, took on human flesh and took on humanity, Jesus Christ, both God and man, in the same person, At the same time, God took on flesh and John says, he dwelt among us. How? In Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, is a very helpful passage to help us comprehend this idea. When it says this of Jesus, Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is not Jesus being created. This is God taking on humanity. God became a man. But he did not stop being God. You ought to be thankful for that. It's because of this you can be forgiven your sins. There's a whole lot more to that, but that's what it all leads to. So secondly, note this. Also in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the original language of the Bible, this This dwelt, in the English language, this dwelt meant to pitch one's tent. It carried with it the idea of settling down permanently. 
And that's just the idea we get from this statement in verse 14. And dwelt among us. In the Old Testament, when we see God dwelling in the midst of his people, it's in the context of his dwelling in the tabernacle. But this is different. Now, John says that God has come and dwelt. How? Do you see it? Among us. Among us. Not in a tabernacle. Among us. Think of that. The power and the mind and the will of God in human flesh in our midst in Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't stop being the Word. And He was still the light of life. But it's like, it's like becoming a father. When I became a father, I didn't stop being a son. I didn't stop being a husband. I didn't stop being a grandson. God, the son, didn't change from word to flesh, but he added, he added flesh so that he might dwell among us Wonderful, isn't it? Isn't that incredible that God chose in Christ to dwell among us? Now I want you to note thirdly in verse 14 that John says, And we have seen His glory. In fact, this is why Jesus came. He wanted us to see His glory. Why? John tells us, I've been telling you, so that we will believe in who Jesus is and be saved. We have seen his glory. This is why Jesus came, so that we might see his glory and recognize him for who he is. And that is why John wrote this gospel. And that is why I'm teaching this gospel, preaching through this gospel, because we need to see who Jesus is. We need to see his glory and be forever changed. The evidence is clear. There were witnesses to the deity of Jesus. It was seen in His glory. Jesus couldn't hide His glory. How did they see His glory? One way Jesus' glory was seen was when Peter, James, and the Apostle John saw it. They they saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to to Luke 9 and verse 29. Luke 9, 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. They clearly saw his glory then and it was a powerful moment for them. So powerful, they didn't want to leave there. They were like, hey, let's, let's just all just stay here and enjoy this. But that wasn't the only way they saw his glory. They also saw it spiritually. Look at how John describes the glory they witnessed as they were with Jesus. Verse 14 continues saying, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So first he says that they saw his glory because Jesus is the Father's Son. Being the Word made flesh, being the light of life, Jesus is the glory of God on full display. 
being the light of life, Jesus is the glory of God. He is glorious because of who he is, the Father's Son, the Son of God. And then John says that they had seen his glory because of this. He's full of grace and truth. You realize you can see the glory of Jesus Christ when you believe in him because he is full of grace and truth. This is the glory of Jesus Christ, which they uh, they saw because of who he is. Grace and truth is the fullness of Jesus Christ. And this is essentially what we proclaim when we tell the gospel. When we tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, we're telling them about the fullness of Jesus Christ, which is his grace and truth. You see it back in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, says verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Why? Because he is full of grace and truth. And to believe in Jesus Christ is to believe in the truth and to be saved by the grace of God. That's why verse 13 reminds you that the new life and forgiveness of sins that you receive when you believe in Jesus is Verse 13, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, you didn't save yourself. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't make it up. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ are you forgiven your sins and made new. Not by the blood, not, not, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here we're seeing Jesus Christ, the Son of God. By God's grace, you receive life, eternal and everlasting, new life in Christ when you believe the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's the most important way that you will ever see this side of eternity, the glory of Jesus. Now look at verse 15. The Apostle John is pointing to another witness who saw the glory of Jesus, John the Baptist. Verse 15 says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. The Apostle John reminds us of the witness of John the Baptist. And so, From what we learned earlier when he was introduced to us, beginning in verse 6, he adds this here in verse 15. John the Baptist had said there in verse 15, He he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This same statement is repeated in verse 30. And often, you just take note, uh, often repetition in the Bible raises its importance. Now, why is this statement of John the Baptist important? John the Baptist was born before Jesus. He's making it clear that though his ministry came on the scene before the ministry of Jesus, that Jesus' ministry is of greater importance than his own. But there's something else here that is very important. John the Baptist is also helping us see who Jesus is by stating the pre-existence of Jesus. 
Not that his ministry is more important, it is, but it's also pre-existent to John the Baptist. Yes, John the Baptist was born first, but he makes it clear that Jesus is God in human flesh. And so he says, Jesus ranks before me because he was before me. How's that? He was before me because he is preexistent to time as we know it. Jesus was there at creation. And so the Apostle John writes here of his and others' witness of the glory of Jesus Christ, which confirms for us who Jesus is, the Son of God. And then he points to John the Baptist, who also pointed to the Son of God. John helps us see who Jesus is. Now look at verse 16, where we continue to see that John helps us see who Jesus is when we're shown that we too can witness the glory of Jesus. I've already pointed at it, but I want you to see it more fully here. Look at verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So John is saying here that it's not only people who were with Jesus who witness his glory. And it's not only John the Baptist who witnessed the glory of Jesus. But it's also all people who believe in his name who witness his glory. Look at verse 16 again. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace and since verse 12 made it clear that to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God the all here who is this all the all here in verse 16 is all believers in Jesus Christ all believers in Jesus received grace upon grace. Oh, just think of that. You've received grace upon grace if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, we can see that Jesus is the Son of God. And in this, we see His glory. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, we can see His glory now. How? I want you to look at a passage of Scripture with me in Ephesians 2. Go to Ephesians 2 for a moment. And just look with me at the first few verses of Ephesians 2. You couldn't see the glory of Jesus before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because as Ephesians 2 makes clear, you were dead. You were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, talking to believers here, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, says verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And that is the only reason, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is the only reason you can now see the glory of Jesus. Because once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have been made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And John says, that not only are you adopted as a child of God if you're a believer in Jesus, and not only do you receive sonship, but you also have his fullness. What does that mean? Now, this is important, and this is precious truth. You have his fullness. Note how John starts verse 16 by saying that from his fullness... That's the fullness of Jesus Christ, fully God, full of grace and truth. The fullness of God is in the Son, and the fullness of the Son is in all people who believe in the Son. This is a reminder here that salvation is full and complete through faith in Jesus alone. You don't come to Jesus and bring anything else. You don't come to Jesus and add anything else. You don't add anything to your faith to be saved. You come with your faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are saved by His grace. And He pours into you His Spirit, and you have His fullness at the day you trust in Jesus Christ. We don't always live like we have His fullness, do we? We're still battling the old nature, aren't we? But at the moment we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have His fullness because we have His Spirit. And this is for every believer. The apostles, John the Baptist, and you and me included. included. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. You need His fullness. I need His fullness. You need His fullness every day. True joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment in this life will never come if you don't have His fullness, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. That is why John writes this whole book about who Jesus is and why you should believe in Him and why He tells us about Him and makes clear who Jesus is so that we will know fully who Jesus is and that we will believe in him and be forever changed you need Jesus so believe in the word made flesh believe in God the son receive his fullness as he pours his spirit into you you need to hear this church 
The fullness of God is in the Son, and the fullness of the Son is in you if you believe in the Son. That means that you have what you need to live the Christian life if you believe in Jesus and keep looking to Jesus. I was struck by something. I don't know why. I don't, I'm, I'm really, I really couldn't, can't even put my finger on what made me think of it this morning during the Sunday school hour. John was teaching, and um, it just moved me that I've been a believer in Jesus for 50 years. That's amazing to me for, for two reasons. That God has been so gracious to be, to be my Lord and Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ but also that he's been so patient with me that I am not a lot more mature than I am spiritually. Because for 50 years I've been a believer in Jesus, but I haven't been living for Jesus wholeheartedly for 50 years. That's humbling. It's a little bit humiliating to admit that, but I don't think I'm the only one in that boat. John says that through faith in Jesus you receive grace upon grace from his fullness we receive grace upon grace that is God's gracious goodness shown to you one on top of the other on top of the other on top of the other and it never stops we don't often see it that way do we I said this morning, isn't the snow beautiful? (laughs) And if you don't mind me illustrating this way, I'll just point out that some of you groaned. (laughs) I groan when the snow is deep, not only when I look at it, but after I'm done removing it from the driveway. That's just a small illustration of the things that we face in this life, isn't it? That we groan about. And we totally forget about how gracious God is and how He piles His grace on us and loads it on and keeps showing us His grace. We don't often see that. We need to slow down. Read the Gospel of John again and again and again. See who Jesus is. If it weren't for God's grace, you would still be under the law. And the law condemns you to death because you cannot keep the law. John points to this in verse 17. We're so prone to wallow in self-pity that we just don't see clearly how gracious God is to us. But God layers His grace on us, grace upon grace. Why do we need grace upon grace? John points to the why in verse 17. Look at verse 17 again. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. If it weren't for God and his grace toward you in Jesus Christ, you would still be under the law, still condemned to death by the law. 
Because God gave His law to Moses, and Moses brought God's law to the people, and the people were warned that there was punishment to be expected for breaking God's law, and what did the people do? They broke God's law. Really shouldn't surprise us. We do the same thing. You can certainly see God's grace in the Old Testament. Even at times, He's showing His grace to those who broke His law after they had been warned and warned and warned. He continues to show them grace at times. But God's grace was not by way of the law because no one has kept the law or is able to keep every point of the law. Otherwise, you could save yourself. But here in John 1, we see that God sent His Son. The Word became flesh, and we have seen His glory. And from His fullness, we've received grace upon grace. If you are a believer in and follower of Jesus, you have the fullness of God living in you. And your life is layered with God's grace. And it's a good thing that it is. Because by God's grace, you receive the full resources of your infinite Creator. And you have hope because grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You didn't earn it. It wasn't by flesh. It wasn't by any creative energy of yours. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And just in case it's not clear to us who Jesus is, we have this clear statement in verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. And here's where we need to read carefully, and punctuation is extremely helpful here. No one has ever seen God. You could put a period there. I have a semicolon in the text. No one has ever seen God. You have not seen God. I have not seen God. The next statement, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. You and I have never seen God, but Jesus came, and here John says Jesus is the only God. Jesus is the only God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. When Jesus came to earth, He took on flesh, God in human flesh. And those who saw Jesus were seeing God. God's representation of Himself to mankind in the flesh. And that statement here in verse 18, is made even more clear by the next. No one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He's not just the only God, but He's the only God who is at the Father's side. What does that point to? It points to the oneness, the intimacy that God the Son has with God the Father. The oneness of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, the the only God, He is at the Father's side. And Jesus Christ 
makes God known. Jesus Christ reveals the Father. Jesus, Son of God. Do you know the Son of God? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you believed in the Son of God for the forgiveness of your sins? If you don't know Him, you can. Put your faith in Him, believe in Him, ask for His forgiveness. It is yours. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven your sins and saved, and you will receive His fullness as He pours His Spirit into you to help you live for Jesus. If you would say, I do know the Son. If you say that, I ask, do you live for His glory? Is it your aim in life to live for His glory so that others see His glory and that so He is honored by your life and that you're shining the light on the glory of God in Jesus Christ, do you live to honor the Son with your life? Do you seek to know Him more and to know Him more fully from His Word and to trust in Him more each day and to grow in your faith each day? I believe this side of eternity, in these bodies, in this life, we will all have room to grow in our faith to trust Jesus more and more before we reach heaven, before we reach eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we'll all have room to grow. So this is not something you're, you're trying to reach out and grasp and get a hold of and be finished with. No, no, you're, you're beginning a long journey. If you're just realizing that you need to grow in your faith, you're just starting a long journey that is a good journey and, and one God wants you to take in this life. Do you read and obey his word? Is your highest aim in life to please and honor God with your life? Because of Jesus, God the Son. God gives you all you need in Jesus, God the Son.